the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. You know, for the last few years, uh, I have really... I've not changed my core. I know what I believe. I know these truths I find self-evident. However, there's... You know, what made me popular was that I was certain. I was certain. And you have to, to do this job, you have to be pretty certain about a lot of things. But I was certain. And in the last few years, I have lost what made me popular, certainty. And I, am, I have gained what has zero value today. Except to me. Humility or a, a lack of certitude. That's a good thing, I think. It makes it very difficult to compete in today's world. But I know what my core is. But boy, I, what we're doing isn't working. I have been looking for anybody who has had a moment of self-reflection. And I read one of the best stories on self-reflection I have, and possibly maybe the only one uh, that I have read from uh, journalists um, but it is a great article, and it's written by Ben Smith. He's the uh, editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed. Uh, and it is, this is what it was like learning to report before fake news was the biggest problem in the world. And it is a piece on, wow, maybe I should have been less certain. Uh, ben Smith joins us now. Hi, Ben. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Glenn. Uh, you bet. This, uh, this is a great uh, a great article that I, I just haven't seen. I haven't seen from anybody else, and I appreciated it. And I wanted to a start with saying thank you. Well, thank you. I guess I must be the only person in this business ever to get anything wrong. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so can you just tell, take us through the story and tell the story? Oh, sure. Yeah. When I guess when I, you know, my first gig, like like a lot of young reporters, um, when I was young and unattached, I. Uh, who always wanted, you know, kind of wanted, there's a romance in being a foreign correspondent, and I got a job the only place I could, which was this particularly obscure bit of Northeastern Europe covering, um, working with stringing, so freelancing for the Wall Street Journal and covering um, places like Latvia and Lithuania, and particularly Belarus, um, which is this medium-sized, kind of authoritarian-run country that never really left communism. It's the one place where they really kind of kept the system intact. Um, and where in this was the but 2001, um, the, in fact, the election was, was the day before 9-11, September, two days before, it was September 9th, 2001. Um, that felt like it was this historical anomaly. Everything was going one direction. Russia was going to become this free market democracy. And Belarus was this weird exception. And so all the Western reporters went there to report on how what a weird exception it was. And there was all this stuff there that made no sense. There was this giant tractor factory producing what seemed like, you know, many thousands of tractors. And if you'd go around the country, there'd be tractors plowing the streets. There'd be tractors sitting unused on farms because nobody could afford diesel. Um, so I wrote this Wall Street Journal story kind of making fun of um, communist mass production. I, um, and, and, I, but the, and the biggest story I got was this young, um, young activist uh, who told me that for this new kind of revolutionary group that was trying to, 
you know, bring democracy to the country who told me that the way they funded their group is every month he would go to Poland and pick up a suitcase full of cash from the Americans and bring it back to pay the bills. And this was a great scoop. You know, this was big news about American foreign policy. And so I published it. Um, and then the next time I was in the country, the, uh, the deputy chief of mission, the sort of number two diplomat, confronted me and told me I had gotten this kid um, beaten up and thrown in jail with my carelessness in reporting what he told me. And this, um, and this is something that b- bothered you for a very long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's something that sticks with you your whole career. You know, you just think about because I think, you know, in journalism, it's hard to predict what's going to happen it's after you reveal a piece of information. And I think... You know, should you think about it? Should you not worry about it? Should you just be focused on essentially telling the truth to the people, to your audience at the expense of your sources? These are hard questions, but I definitely thought about it and, and Googled the guy from time to time. His name is Alexei Shedlovsky. And then at some point, and I don't even know if it was translated right, ran across an interview with him where he said he hadn't been to jail for his beliefs, which seemed weird to me. And so I, you know, I didn't really know what to do with it and sat on it for a while and then finally found him on Facebook where he's, he, he lives in Prague and he manages a hotel. Um, and I, I called him up on Facebook and he said, yeah, that, that never happened. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't go to jail. The story was fine, <laughs> which was really, you know, totally shocking to me. I had spent years thinking this was this horrible thing I had done to him. Um, but it's, it, it goes further than just that. And you, you, you tell this story. I know you're, we're pressed for time, so you're, you're, you're rushing through the story. But you, you, please read this story. It is so well written. And you can feel, I mean, I love the line, and, and my face reddened even more. You know, as these things are being brought up to you over the years, you're just, it's grinding you. And oh, yeah, and I, you know, I got everything wrong. The other detail, this tractor factory that I thought was such a joke, it was revealed in the um, in the run up to the Iraq war that the reason that it, w- it was so large and so hard to figure out and kind of weirdly secretive is that they were making missile launchers and were exporting weapons all over the world. So my I had totally misread the situation, you know, as you're apt to do and you're apt to, you know, you want, kind of want to tell your readers what they want to hear sometimes. And I knew the Wall Street Journal readers would get a kick out of a story about how you know, silly communists doing silly communist things when in fact what this was was, you know, a sort of hub in the anti-American arms dealing network. So, um, so yeah. you, you quoted um, Janet Malcolm and you said the core of journalism is betrayal. What does that mean? Well, she, you know, there's this famous little book called The Journalist and the Murderer. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, it's a, journalism is a complicated business, and, and the goal of getting people the truth does not always involve, I mean, it, you know, it involves getting people to tell you things that's against their interest to tell you. There's this legendary story, a great novel called Fatal Vision. You know, if you like true crime, fantastic novel by Joe McGinnis, and he basically wrote to this man who was accused of murdering his family, told him that he was in sympathy with him, that he believed he was innocent, that he wanted to help with the defense, insinuated himself into the defense team, and then wrote a book about how guilty he was. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe the guy sued him. I mean, it was, you know, it was this very messy mm-hmm. thing where he had really totally betrayed this guy, really tricked him into getting his confidence and betrayed him. And, what, and it was a very extreme case, but I think what Janet Malcolm argues in this very small book about how but sort of the ethical complexity of journalism is that at some level, that's what all journalists are doing all the time, is betraying people's confidences in order ultimately to tell the truth to their audience. And you were even betrayed as you found out that 
when you when you met up with him, uh, the guy you thought had gone to jail and was beaten up, you didn't know what to do with it for a while. And it just kind of sat with you and you decided, I've got to find the guy who told that to me. Yeah, and, you know, I called him, I left messages, I talked to his wife, I could never track him down. I finally got a hold of his boss who said, oh, God, he was always doing stuff like that. That's why he didn't work for me long. I mean, <laughs> after all these years, I wish I'd known that. <laughs> so you had gone through years of that. about, you know, trusting government. Like when, you know, people, government sources, official sources, diplomats tell you something, you know, your instinct, no matter how skeptical you are, at least mine as a young American journalist, was to trust them, and that was the wrong instinct. And... If I if I have the story right, you have kind of come to the place that you have to question not just the government, um, but you have to question everything that you think you know. You you're. It sounds to me like you're in the same place that that I'm at. On uh, wow, I, I have to be less certain because I don't know what I know anymore. Well, you know the luxury of my business of news reporting. Even more, I think, than yours is that I, we don't we don't have to know things. We don't have to be sure. We can tell the readers what we found and let people make up their own minds. And I think it's you know it takes a certain amount of discipline to do that, and it's hard not to inject yourself. But I think that is all. That's ultimately what we tried to do. But isn't that what, uh, in some way, regard, that's what I should be doing as well? Where I do have to inject myself, but I don't. I don't have to. Uh, you know, we we all have to remember. You know, we, we, we have we listened to everyone? Are, are we absolutely sure this is this is right? This is my opinion. That doesn't necessarily make it the only opinion worth considering. Yeah, I mean, you know, it depends. It's the sky. You know, you can say the sky is blue and be pretty sure about it. But yeah, I think, yeah. but you can also realize people lie to you, realize, um, you know, and realize that your big assumptions about where things, how wrong those can be. I mean, that to me was a big thing. You know, we were all there laughing at this ludicrous dictator who was obviously a relic of history. And, you know, 20 years later, he's still running the country. So, Ben, what is the state of journalism now? <laughs> That's a, that is a big question. I mean, the, I think, honestly, that it is better than you uh, might hear from our, our president. I think there's a lot of great reporting being done. I think, you know, there's a there's been a long campaign to discredit both specific journalists and whole topics of journalism that people don't like, you know, for for their own reasons, and that that's really left a mark. Um, you think that's happened I, on both sides, people, though? But I, but I think when you say, when you know people will say that they don't trust the media. But then if you ask them, do you trust your local newspaper? Do you trust the guy who writes about the Cleveland Indians for the plane dealer? Do you, you know, people mostly do. And so I think, but, but I think it's, but I think it's tough. And I think like our job is very much to try to win people's trust back to some degree. And I think that is in part by being transparent about what we don't know. The, the testimony this week with Facebook and Zuckerberg we are all now, I mean, when I first got into radio, this is 40 years ago, uh, I had to build an audience. Now, my audience has an audience. Everybody has an audience. Uh, yeah, and, right. uh, you know, you can accuse me of saying and doing things, you know, for, for clicks or ratings or whatever. But a lot of people are now doing that that are just walking the streets and, 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 and they, they don't realize that they're doing that. 
Um, where do you stand on on what's happened this week with with Facebook? What should be done, if anything? Um, I mean, I think it's really complicated. I mean, I think that you know, Facebook has this has built this you know this platform that has two billion people on it, and you know, there's no way that the people running Facebook Incorporated can really control something like that. I mean, I think people see them as like the government of Facebook, but maybe they're a little more like the United Nations of Facebook. I mean, just in terms of the scale of it. And I think, you know, when, when something really horrific happens in the United States of America, you know, somebody gets shot on Facebook Live, there's, it gets a lot of media attention, they deal with it, they promise to take it seriously. Outside the United States, in languages you and I and Mark Zuckerberg don't speak, I mean, Every day, all sorts of crazy things are happening that the company has almost no way of telling what's going on. Um, I think that you know it's very unclear what what regulation would mean in an American context. The Europeans are starting to really impose new rules around your ability to own your own data, your ability to force places like Facebook to explain what they're doing. That I think may have ramifications here too. But um, I do think, in a way, everybody's waking up to these compromises we've made around our privacy and, and kind of reckoning with them right now. Talk to Ben Smith of BuzzFeed. Uh, ben, one thing from the story to get back to it for a second uh, that you wrote, um, and we're going to tweet that at World of Stew at Glenn Beck, uh, make sure people can read it, uh, is I thought it was really interesting because it relates sort of to our world as well uh, in the talk radio realm in that you you felt the desire as a young reporter to essentially please your editor, right? Like to please the paper, to give them and what the audience what they wanted. And A, is that something that's you think common in your business? I know it's common in talk radio. I know it is. Um, do, you find, do you find that to be common in the business? And, and also, how do you push back against it? Because it's got to be a very natural instinct, essentially searching for acceptance from your employer. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's, and there's your employer. There's also your audience, right? And do you want... And, you want to please your audience, but you also, I think, hopefully respect your audience enough to know that sometimes people actually want to be challenged and will trust you more if you do not always tell them what they want to hear. I do think, you know, it's interesting, you know, before the Internet, you didn't really know, you know, particularly if you were a newspaper reporter, I think, you know, in some ways in radio, you didn't always know what your audience was thinking. And so you did very much write for your editor, for your publication. I mean, the big change to me was that over, that, you know, that, that when I became when I got online, you know, the, my, the, the editor I cared about, whose opinion I cared about was Matt Drudge or Josh Marshall or Andrew Sullivan or some big blogger who could link me. And I think you saw, I think more than people realize, a lot of journalists were writing for them, were writing for these kind of mega internet assignment editors who could drive a lot of traffic. Um, and then that became replaced by social media and by, you know, can I get so-and-so to tweet it? Can I get, will this get me a lot of retweets, a lot of Facebook shares? And that can lead you... I mean, it can pull you to the extremes. The, the shrillest thing, the thing that most um, that, that plays most to a reader's prejudice is often the thing that gets most widely shared. Ben Smith, uh, editor-in-chief of uh, BuzzFeed.com. Thank you so much, Ben, and really enjoyed your article. Thank you for writing it. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.